Hey, how's it going? Before we get into today's episode, I have a quick message and offer from my sponsor, Cloudways. Cloudways has an incredible Black Friday, Cyber Monday offer, good through December 6th. You can get 40% off for four months on all hosting plans and up to 40 free migrations. So all you agency owners out there, take note of those migrations. Use promo code BFCM4040 and you can go to kimdoyle.com forward slash BFCM4040. See how I did that? And the link and the promo code are both in the show notes as well. Again, go to kimdoyle.com forward slash BFCM4040 to get 40% off four months on all hosting plans and up to 40 free migrations with Cloudways. And on that note, let's get into today's episode. Hey there, it's Kim Doyle and welcome to my show where digital marketing meets real stories, experiences, and strategies. You'll get a behind the scenes look at what's working and not working in my business, as well as other experts who show up and share their stories. As much as I love talking about tangible marketing principles and tactics, we'll dig a little deeper with mindset and explore what's required to create a business you love on your terms that also supports your life. I wanna help you understand the why behind the how. Whether you're a seasoned marketer or just dipping your toes in, remember, marketing is a journey and the goal is to enjoy it. My desire is to guide you on your journey and remind you that no matter what life throws at you, you've got this. Hey, what up, what up? Welcome to another episode of The Kim Doyle Show. That was very squeaky. I am your host, Kim Doyle, and I'm I'm fired up, guys. I don't know what to tell you, but I am fired up, so... This is a little bit of a buckle up recommendation. Um, today's episode is 123 and it is getting beyond yourself, taking your ego out of marketing. All right. So, and you guys know there's going to be some off script comments. Sorry. I, my, I'm really debating. We're already starting with off script. I'm debating on switching. I have a high LPR 40. Mic, which is a good mic to one of the Sure microphones because it's less intrusive. I've been looking for a desktop mount for the Heil. So if somebody knows of one or can find one, holler. I don't know. It's just big and in my face. And I think that this, um, the arm that I use for it. Yeah. It's just been moved far too many times. Anyways. All right. Let's get into the show and also. Uh, I will be drinking my handy-dandy water because, yeah, it's dry as a bone in Northern California. And the heater's on. We've got fires going. All the coziness that you could hope for in December. All right. So let's jump in. Um, was it a week and a half ago? I don't know. Cup? No. Yeah. Week and a half ago or so. Uh, my friends and I revived something that we used to do years ago. And before I get into that, we're going to do a little backstory about these friends. These are my high school friends, you guys. And still, to this day, they are very near and dear to me. I've known one of them since kindergarten. Yeah, literally. And not just known, but like we have been friends since kindergarten. Another since sixth grade. And the rest are all from my freshman year in high school. So yeah, these are lifelong friends. And at this stage in life, we have been through a lot together. Graduations, careers, marriages, children, loss, heartache, joy, moving, you name it, right? You don't get to midlife and not have, this is just life, right? You don't get to the stage in life and not have some of these things um, and challenges or whatnot, you know, come across 
your path. And there have been times when we've been super close and incredibly active in one another's lives. Most of that was pre-children, to be honest with you. Um, and then there's times when life is so busy that it's like good luck finding a night that you can have dinner together. And my guess is that most, most people understand this, specifically women. And again, I get it. This is just life. Um, it, but, but on the flip side, I always miss them when I haven't seen them in a while. And so this thing that we recently revived was our ornament exchange. We did this. We started doing this. Okay. I'm trying to think. Probably a year or two before I had my daughter. I had her at 26. So in our early, early to mid twenties, we started doing this and I did it. And my sister started it also because my mom used to do this when I was a child. And so how my mom and her friends would do it is that they would, but there was probably 12 plus in their ornament exchange. And they also did cookie exchanges, which is really, which as kids we loved because my mom would come home with like 12 dozen different cookies at Christmas. It was really fun. But the ornament exchange, it started out where we made handmade ornaments. Also, we made one for each person. And so that was six to 10 ornaments, depending on there's six of us. And then depending on you know, sometimes we had sisters come because all of our sisters know each other as well. And so you'd leave with six to 10 ornaments. And this was totally great when we were all starting our homes and, you know, pre-kids. And then I was the first one to have a child. So my daughter actually, you know, I did cutie little pictures of her and stuff on the ornaments. Um, but um, as life got busier, we started changing things up and then we would, you know, bring one nice ornament. And then we started buying the ornaments because my friends were like, okay, we, we cannot keep making ornaments again. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm a little crafty. And really, I don't remember when we stopped doing it, but we finally were able to get together. Remember, I was in Costa Rica for a couple of years. Uh, one of my friends actually was, she had lived in Italy. Her husband is Italian for a couple of years. So it's just been, you know, it's just been life. But um, yeah, so... Again, I'm not sure when we stopped doing it, but we finally were able to get, to get together for dinner in October of 23, depending on when you're listening to this. That was, I don't know, a week or two before I went to Costa Rica. And so at that dinner, it was, we had such a great time and we said, let's do the ornament exchange. Let's pick a date right now. And we did it. And unfortunately, not everyone could make it. One person couldn't come. Another person ended up with a stomach flu that morning, which was such a bummer. It is, so, it was so, soul filling for me. However, I was struck by something. And I promise you, you guys, this is going to be relative to marketing. But remember, in episode, where am I at right now? You know, 123, 121, I started talking about how I'm going to pull in a lot of different aspects, which I kind of always have, but I'm going to be much more not transparent, but direct, I guess, is a word about pulling in different aspects of my life and how they fit into my business. So when we got together, we did the normal catching up, you know, that you do when you haven't seen each other. But fortunately, it was a lot less of the normal catching up, how's the kids, all that kind of stuff, right? And there's only one of, well, only one of my friends has kids at home. Um, they, they had kids later. And because we saw each other a couple months ago, as the night progressed, the conversations got deeper, which you guys, I am, I, I, I can totally do superficial conversation. And I'm not saying it's superficial, but it doesn't matter. But when time is limited, 
you know, I want to hear how you're doing. I want to hear how you are. I want to connect. I love their families, but I miss my friends, right? And so our families have consumed our lives, rightfully so, for, you know, since you start having kids. Anyway, as the conversations got deeper, I felt deep sadness for some of the things that a couple of my friends were sharing, partly because of what they had to go through or are going through, right? We're at that age where I've shared it. I came back because my dad's health. Another friend um, is going through something really uh, heartbreaking with her father and health-wise. And another friend has had stuff with kids. But but here's the thing. I was sad because of what they had to go through or are in the middle of, but also because they hadn't shared what they were experiencing during the most challenging parts, right? One of them is on the beginning of this journey, and it's probably just going to get tougher. Uh, and I know I've done the same thing. This is what being busy can do to us. And while I cannot speak for my friends, I'm sure there's a piece of truth to what I'm about to say for them as well. And that is that you don't want to bother people when you're in the middle of something challenging, especially if you haven't talked to them or seen them in a while. And <laughs> this is my, I, I really, you guys, I'm not anti-religion. I just know that it doesn't serve, organized religion doesn't serve me at this stage in my life. And um, I, we were all raised Catholic. So this guilt thing, I feel like it's just an innate part of being raised that way. Um, I digress. Anyways, but, but really, the crazy thing is that I know that I could pick up the phone and call any of these women if I were in a crisis, and they'd all be there for me. No questions asked. And the same is true on my end. There's nothing that they couldn't need from me that if it was in my wheelhouse to be able to do for them, I would do it. Hands down, no questions asked. One of my friends, I mean, I remember when my husband passed away, one of my friends, the one who moved to Italy, um, she was working with her husband in his restaurants at the time. And so she literally stayed with me for almost three weeks at my house. You know, it that's the type of friends these women are. And <clears throat> the, the, the point in this is that there is so much power in sharing, in being vulnerable and telling our truths. And the only way to do this is to get beyond ourselves and remove the ego. And I will say, side note, I grabbed that title, the title, Getting Beyond Yourself, um, from a Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza. And if you have not ever listened to him, it's amazing. Like his whole story is phenomenal. Um, he healed his, his back from a, he was on a bicycle. He was in a bicycle accident. Um, and, had a 50-50 chance of walking out of a hospital if he had surgery. He was a chiropractor at the time and committed to healing his spine with his mind. And it took him six weeks, but he made a commitment that if he did, he would focus on studying neuroscience. You guys, I'm fascinated by neuroscience and the power of the mind to heal the body. Anyway, okay, (laughs) I got this title, the getting beyond the ego, uh, excuse me, getting beyond yourself, from Dr. Joe. So thanks, Joe. Um, but but you really do have to do this. You have to remove your ego from everything across the board. Life, business, I mean, relationships fall under life and stuff, but everything. Remove your ego from your health goals, all of those things. It's start where you are. Anyways, this is this brings me to how this plays a significant role in our business and marketing. Okay. So just to recap that little story, because Hopefully, I would like to make sure that this um, there's a thread that pulls throughout this entire episode. And the thread with this one is just that there's so much power in sharing 
being vulnerable and telling our truths. I know I just said that, but it, it bears repeating. So let, let's, we're going to pivot now to business and I will circle back. Let's see if I can tie a bow on this whole thing. Um, earlier this week, then I was talking with a friend that I hadn't talked to in over a year. She's a, a woman I connected with years ago online. She's on my list. She has worked with me. Uh, she's bought some of my courses. We've done some coaching sessions. And it's just one of those things that over the years we became friends. And this happens with a lot of my coaching clients. She's in Europe. I'm in the States. And you guys, it never ceases to amaze me that I have people I consider dear friends worldwide. Like when I think about the countries that I could go to and say, hey, I'm going to be here. Are you up for grabbing a beer or a coffee or dinner? Like it's, it's pretty freaking phenomenal. Okay. That's one of the good things about social media because Obviously, with every coin, there's two sides. And I'm choosing to focus on all the the benefits and the good sides. Friendships and relationships are one of the best things to come out of the internet, in my in my opinion, um, for me. Anyway, so we've been friends for years. And she has seen my transition from the WordPress chick. And if you're new to the podcast or new to me, I was the WordPress chick from 2008 to 2018 um, into my personal brand. And she said something when we were talking that I realized was kind of a superpower of mine. She also said she uses me as inspiration on her own journey, which I know is a part of my purpose in this lifetime, which is to inspire. Um, it's an innate drive I have. I love seeing people get lit up about possibility and hope and realizing that they're capable of creating what they want. That, that totally lights me up. So she's in a place where she's pivoting her business and said that because I was constantly pivoting and bear with me here, I'll try and explain my, my, more of my pivots in a second. She said, you know, I inspire her because I'm always pivoting and I don't ever seem to care. And I thought about this because someone else said this to me on an, on a video interview once. And he's like, you know, you're very public about your mistakes or failures. And it's like, which is funny because I'm public about business mistakes and failures. For some reason, there's a lot of uh, personal mistakes and failures that I'm probably not as vocal about. And I don't know what that truth will be for me. Meaning, I, I there's a big difference between personal and private, which I've stressed so many times. And I don't think you have to share everything to be transparent and authentic. I look at things that if I share this, A, am I on the other side of it? And B, is there value in this for somebody else? Meaning, can they learn something? Can they know they're not alone? Can I give them a little more inspiration that there's a way out of that? Whatever the case may be, that's where I look at sharing more of the personal stuff. (laughs) Off script, welcome to my brain, you guys, today. I was watching Home Alone, you know, the Christmas movie that... um, (laughs) Oh, goodness. It's one of those things, you guys. I love to watch those, and I'll kind of be on my laptop or playing a game on my iPad or something. But anyways, and it was that crummy older brother is is they're asking him why he wasn't worried about Kevin being left alone. He's like, no, because three things. One, da-da-da-da. B, da-da-da-da. And D, it was just, it was one of those things. So when I said, anyways, one and two. Welcome to my brain. Let's get back on track here. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. Okay. So again, this whole pivoting, right? That's what we're talking about is not being afraid 
to make mistakes publicly and pivot, which is fascinating considering building in public. Hat tip to my friend Kavan uh, Chung, who has a great cohort that I, he's got a book and I love building in public. You know what else I love? Practicing in public. I don't remember where I first heard that. It was this year, but I think that is a brilliant reframe. Because what if you're building and you end up building something that you don't want to do anymore? I think it's perfectly okay. And this is where we come to this whole idea that we're supposed to pick one thing and only do that forever. And I think it's friggin' nonsense. I talked about this in the episode where I was inspired by Dan Coe, which was episode 121. Um, but really, like, why should we only pick one thing, focus on that, and never veer off course or talk about anything else? Now, I'm going to do a whole lot of caveats, I think is the appropriate word here, and uh, qualifications to that statement, but bear with me. We're multidimensional people with varying interests. Now, before you think I'm off my rocker here and telling people to create an everything but the kitchen sink kind of business, I'm not. By the way, that's one of my most favorite Ben & Jerry's ice creams, everything but. It's delicious. What I am saying is that it's okay to talk about and create content that on the surface might not feel like it's relevant to your niche. So what does this have to do with ego and your marketing? Everything. What gets in the way of trying things out in marketing is fear, which is 100% our egos. Because you guys, we're not living in an era where fear exists because of survival, right? Although there may be an element of that, meaning um, you think you can't make a living off of the things that interest you more than a niche that you started years ago, but don't enjoy anymore. Um, so, you know, we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to try. We're supposed to grow and make mistakes. You know, when I think back to when I was a kid, I had zero hesitation about trying things. Now, this is pre-teenage years, right? Because we all know that they're all teenagers are adamant about being individuals by being exactly alike. But, you know, when I, I think back, you guys, I just jumped in. I was kind of one of those, it's an adventure kids, right? I remind myself that we're here to create and that adults in the world, honestly, could use a whole lot more childlike curiosity. There is such a difference. I'm not telling anyone to be childish, but have that curiosity that a little kid has, you know, when they're, they discover like you, you can, you're going to be able to picture this, right? I'm closing my eyes to, to do this little narration and I am on a mission. You guys to stop going, right? When did that become a vocabulary element? Anyways, think of a toddler who is crouched on the sidewalk squatting, right? Because it's so easy for their little bodies to squat. They're on a, on a crouched on the sidewalk squatting and they see a caterpillar for the first time. It's, amazing to them. There is this miraculous, awe-inspiring, maybe some child might be scared of it, but for those kids who, you know, and no judgment, but you're like, little kids are so fascinated by everything. We need that again. We need that curiosity. And I think with marketing, especially in the creator space and the internet marketing space, there's there's so much noise about, and we're going to get into this too. We're thrown down today, you guys. But there's so much noise about having to do things a certain way because of all these vanity metrics, i.e. millions and millions of dollars, that people are trying to put a square peg in a round hole all the time. 
most of my interests overlap in one way or another. And at the end of the day, they're all part of my creativity, my drive, and what inspire me. This is why I hate the niche down advice and why I struggled with it. And you know what's funny? Because on one hand, where my friend was saying, you know, you're always pivoting. I'm like, "Eh, am I? I was a WordPress chick for 10 years. So I've been in this content space for five years. I can do math. Five years. I don't think that I'm always pivoting, but I'm willing to try things. I don't pivot my business necessarily, but I'm public about trying things, I think is a probably safer way to say that. Um, and so after those 10 years as a WordPress chick, I felt really stuck towards the end. I didn't want, I never, ever wanted to do websites. I never wanted to do client work. Uh, it was though a very tangible thing to explain to people what I was doing. And that's the, well, clients, that's how you pay bills, right? And that's freelancing. And then I built an outsourcing company and then, and that was recurring revenue. I could have kept that going. I could have grown that. I didn't want that responsibility. I did not want the responsibility of people being happy, upset, whatever with developers. Design. I just hard pass. And I knew it was time to move in a different direction. That's why I pivoted to my personal brand. I have zero regrets or judgment about having niched down with WordPress because everything I did was new and I was learning as I went. You know, there's a lot less, well, outside of AI, and you guys, I don't mean this like I know everything, but we've all been exposed to most of this stuff. If you've been in this space for say three to five years, you're familiar with a lot of the lingo and the terminology and the companies and that type of stuff and the gurus, all that, right? This is the beauty of where we're at today. I was, you know, and it's interesting because I read an email from Amanda Bond, freaking adore her, um, today about technically the internet marketing. How did she phrase it? I should pull up the email, but the internet, the internet marketing economy is still fairly new. Do I still have it? Yeah. Hold on. I'm going to just, the online economy is still in its infancy, which really it is. But I think that while it still might, while it might be in its infancy, it's not new anymore. So we look at, you know, look at the social media platforms. They're besides pay to play for ads for um, traffic. Now they want you to pay for a little tick mark. And so, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, even with the streaming, I'm like, oh, okay. So now, now all the streaming companies are raising prices or they're adding ad options because whatever, I'm not going to go sideways on that, but I'm like, you ever wonder how all the disruptor companies end up falling back into traditional methods? Moving on. Uh, people are fed up though, right? And so again, because this space isn't new, making money online has become much more common for many people. And I, it always surprises me when people, because of it's my world. So again, not judging, but when people my age or younger aren't familiar with making that there's so many people truly making a living online in every market possible, but whatever. Um, making money online has become much more common for many people. And I mean, for people beyond those who are hardwired to be entrepreneurs. I think I was, I think I was hardwired for freedom and to do my own thing and to create. And even when I was employed, I had to be in charge. Side hustle has now become a widely understood phrase. And I'm going to repeat this joke. I've shared it before. My daughter is so funny. 
incredibly bright, creative woman. But what did she say? She goes, yeah, she goes, yeah, I, I kind of want a side hustle that I don't have to make money from. And I was like, you mean a hobby? <laughs> right? I mean, hello, I used to paint and scrapbook and do all those things because I enjoyed it, period. Anyway, I think that's still funny. She will, she's 26, she'll be 27 in March. Um, but that's her generation, right? People are fed up with corporations commuting and basically working hard to make other people money. I don't know where any of this is going. I'm not an economist. If anybody has a recommendation for a good book on economics that does not sway to one side or the other, um, hit me up. I'd, I would be very curious to read it. And I know that that's a huge generalization, but I really think it's more common than not. More people would probably like to join the ranks of self-employment, but it is scary AF when you have a family, mortgage, uh, hello, aging parents, and other responsibilities. It's really tough to pull that trigger, or when you have all those responsibilities, to find it in you and energetically to make the time for it. And now every bro marketer out there will tell you then it's just not that important to you. And to that, I want to say F off because, I, you know, it's like I was listening to um, Tori Dunlap. I think I may have mentioned her before. This incredible young woman, financial feminist is her book. And she has a website called Her First 100K, how she saved $100,000 by the time she was 25. She's t- teaching and talking about finance in a way that completely inspires me. Um, and what I love though, one of the things she says though is personal finance is personal. So all of these very narrow one way to do things, they're across the board in Western culture, I think. Until here, here's a funny thing. You think about it. People who don't follow the rules are the ones who do what, what's the Steve Jobs, um, Here's to the crazy ones, right? They're the ones that change the world. So we applaud not following the rules once somebody's hit it. Until they hit it, we judge not following the rules. Anyway, you know, and then of course, there's people who prefer a steady income. They want the benefits. They want the guaranteed pay. They want the structure of a job. I mean, not that any of that's guaranteed either, but most people from my generation and older feel that there is an element of security there. All right, let's go back to why I hate the niche down advice. The first thing is that it makes getting started incredibly difficult when you're unsure of what it is you want to niche into. I I know I've talked about this. I have a friend, though, that has been trying to start something since I did in 2008, went to an event with me in 2006, which completely kicked off this obsession with figuring out the internet thing for me. But feels like she's supposed to have this incredible passion for one thing, and that's what she has to go after. You guys, I didn't even know WordPress existed before I got into this space. I think I came across it, but it was like, what? And remember, when I was my daughter's age, none of this stuff existed. So I think that's horseshit, and I think it stops way too many people from starting, being told to niche down. The other thing is the exact same thing is true when you want to pivot because you you have to test and try things to see what resonates, what sticks, what you're good at, and where the people are you want to help. Without testing the waters, you're more or less guessing. 
Although I will say that when a guess, and that's in quotes, comes from deep within and you know it's that intuitive nudge, it's not, it's not that, mm, I hope this works, right? Maybe this is, maybe this is what's going to put me over the top. Maybe this will be the thing. You know, sometimes all we need is that intuitive nudge. I know for me, this space I'm in now of screw it. Like I'm going for it. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. I'm done worrying about keywords and we're going to get into that in a minute, but I am just going to go do what I feel inspired and called to do because that's inspired action. And oh my gosh, watch out world. I read an article by my friend, Jamie Northrup, Northrup of Minimalist Hustler easy for me to say. I highly recommend you subscribe. You can find them on Medium, just minimalist hustler for the love. Maybe too much coffee today. Um, It's short, sweet, and to the point every day, but he is doing a lot of writing on Medium also. So he ran a personal challenge and a test for himself in November of 2023, again, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, in which he published on Twitter and Medium. I, I believe it was every day to see which platform was better for growing his newsletter. The good news, and I will say the good news is for moi, Medium won out. And so his article is, is Twitter better than Medium to grow your newsletter? I've linked to it, excuse me, in the show notes. Here's why it's good news for me. Two reasons. One, I prefer writing long form content. As you guys can tell, I can sit and talk with you for an hour. Okay. Most of these podcast posts I think the one that was inspired by Dan Co was 3,500 words. This one was over 2,500 words. So I, it's, it's almost like this journaling and thought process. I enjoy the process of writing, which I didn't know until I decided I wanted to podcast, right? Ah, right. I want someone to tally those. I, and I think I'm going to have to start donating every right, like charge me a dollar and I'll donate it to charity. Uh, um, Again, I prefer writing long-form content. Whenever I write tweets, I feel like I'm pontificating, that I'm creating platitudes, or that I'm talking at people. And yes, I know, I know. There are courses and tools to help to help you get better at writing tweets. I have some of them. But here's the thing. If I enjoy long-form more, wouldn't it make more sense to focus on just getting better at what I enjoy doing and am already doing, Right? Ah, right. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to call myself out anymore, you guys, but next, next time I record, I'm going to put the word right with the circle and the slash through it on my screen. So I'm looking at it. Okay. So number one again is that I prefer writing long form content. That's why the fact that Medium was better for the newsletter is good for me. The second reason is that Elon Musk drives me crazy. I waffle back and forth between cutting off my nose to spite my face and supporting my convictions, which is called being a human being. I've been on Twitter since 2008. And the truth is, I've always pushed content there. I've connected with some great people on Twitter for sure. But I I don't know. I don't know. And maybe I just need to say screw it and write whatever the hell I want on Twitter and see what happens. Right. And that wasn't a right. So what I may do is I may just keep pushing content to Twitter. But I think I'm going to follow in Jamie's footsteps and test medium versus Twitter. I have been doing like I push a lot of content to Medium also, but I'm going to test some original articles. And I think what I'm probably going to do is test expanding on, if you're not subscribed to The Spark, you can go to kimdoyle.com forward slash The Spark, the hyphen spark, 
or Spark. I think I did a redirect for both of those. Um, and get on the newsletter because I do sort of this personal blog post beginning. And I think that I could expand on that and use that as, um, uh, original content. Anyway, we'll see. But let me again be clear about one thing. Nothing in me says that you should create a catch all website for a business. Unless your focus truly is on lifestyle, it's not going to serve you to create content on multiple topics that are entirely unrelated. What I am saying is that not only is it okay to pull different aspects of who you are and what you like in your business content, I really think it's imperative these days. No one has any idea what SEO is going to look like now that AI has entered the picture. And I know there's been tests where people have gone and and written like hundreds, if not a thousand articles using AI to publish it to see what it does for traffic, right? But none of us know. You know, none of us are the the man behind the curtain. The curtain. Why did I say it? <laughs> Emphasize the T so much there. You know, the great and powerful Oz at Google. And so your guess is as good as mine. My content started slowing down immensely when I felt like I had to create based on keywords or my niche. That happened when we launched the Content Creators Planner. I got very tired of feeling like I had to do so much based on SEO and write about content, 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 <laughs> right? And so it's, I, and not to mention, I hate doing keyword research. I always have, I don't know that anything's ever going to change on that. And so having to pick content based on keywords, this is where I'm inserting the vomiting emoji in the post, okay? And really, good luck ranking for things like content marketing, email marketing, and newsletters. And I know, I know, there's long form, I mean, long tail keywords, all that, all that stuff. But honestly, it's, it, I get in my head. I totally get in my head. So this is where vulnerability and marketing becomes magic. All right. So I want to circle way back to the story that I opened with about getting together with my friends. And there's another element to that story that left me with an overwhelming feeling of needing to make a conscious decision to stay in better communication with them. Again, let's look at the two sides of this coin. And so just to hopefully keep this on track, I want to point out the element of vulnerability and how it really is. It's, it's magic when you start pulling it into your marketing people want to do business with people they know, like, and trust. I That's one of those trite sayings that I 100% agree with. So one side of the coin about, you know, not communicating with friends enough, but is, it's just everyone is busy. It's a fact of life today. We'd be here all day if I went down the rabbit hole of life before technology and how we seem to make more time for people. You know, mind you, I would say technology has been a huge part of my life since early to mid thirties. Um, and the other side though, is that we can choose to stay in touch. Just like we make conscious decisions to exercise, to brush our teeth, journal, travel, go to a movie, whatever. I think it's vital that we make time to stay in touch with people we love. I remember, you know, when I was a kid and if I was in trouble at home or I was grounded or I did something wrong, whatever, I was not a bad kid, but you know, life in my generation is probably, yep, I remember being grounded. Um, but it was like, if I thought my parents were unhappy with me, it's like nothing in my world felt right. 
And so think about how when the relationships in our life don't feel whole, I guess is the best way to say that when they don't feel whole, that there's a little less of us showing up. And because nothing in me is telling you that you have to see and make plans and do all those things all the time, right? Like life is busy. I get it. But after this last get together, I promised myself that I was going to do this. And it is not difficult. I did a pretty decent job staying in touch with people in Costa Rica, but I don't want, you know, months to go by where I see or talk to these women. And with two of the friends who were going through challenging situations, I made a point of reaching out via text the week after. And it was nothing major. It was just a simple acknowledgement that they knew they were going through something difficult, that they had a lot on their plate, and I was here for them. And they were both super grateful. You know, one of them said, it has really been a difficult week. You have no idea how much it's meant to me. And because of my life, now mind you, I'm about two hours from everybody up at my dad's, which I don't think I'm ever going to go close, closer, i.e. living in the Bay Area proper ever again. But um, I have probably the most flexibility. My kids are out on their own. Um, I don't answer to anybody about myself. I mean, other than making sure my dad doesn't need anything, that type of stuff. So, you know, one of them, she's one that works full time and she's got two kids still. One's in high school, one's in middle school. I'm like, I can always come to you. She works from home so I can come down, hang out at my sister's, drive over and see her. And I straight up, she was willing to meet me in the middle. And I said, no, I said, I'm coming as close to you as I can because I want more time with you. I don't want you to waste time driving. I want you to waste time with me. (laughs) Not that it's wasting time. You know, so that's something to let people know I'm here. And I I think there's just a lot of those little things. I love sending cards. By the way, a little off script here. There's an incredible site. There's a bunch, I'm sure. But one called, it's Punk Post, P-U-N-K-P-O-S-T dot com, Punk Post. You can have a card mailed to a friend and they're hand drawn. So the, I don't know what the artists get paid in it. They're like eight bucks a card or something, you guys. But it's a great way to send a note in the mail. And it's created just for that person. And just to say, I'm thinking about you. I really, you know, it's funny. I don't think I'll be doing Christmas cards this year. I haven't done them probably since I was home with kids where it was more fun to do a photo of us together. But I mean, I guess I could do one with my dogs, but I'm not doing that. <laughs> I love them, but no. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do though, is I want to send personal Christmas cards to the people closest to me that mean the most to me. Um, you know, family I'm going to see and all that good stuff, but I want to be able to just send a note and let these women know how much I love them, how, what I, what I think of them in a, in a sweet way, right? Like we all have unique qualities. The, the friend I've known since kindergarten, she is my, um, <laughs> she's my partner in crime with singing show tunes and our birthdays are about five days apart. We just, we, we, there's just joy there and we can go deep too, but you know, there's, there's a uniqueness about all these friendships. So I know this might seem sideways, but the element, I do this with friends online too. I'm like, let's have a catch up call. Let's catch up. Let's catch up. And of course the day that those calls come around, I'm like, I wish I'd have a call, but then I get off from having caught up with somebody I care about and I always feel better. And again, now that we're all in midlife, there's a different level of compassion and empathy for one another that I think only comes with age. 
the more vulnerable you can be with the people you love, the easier it is to start being a little vulnerable in business. And it is truly magical. And to that point, I want to say this also, and I'm going to call out, not even call out, call up, I should say, my generation and and anybody older. I, I think there is an element, and I'm not saying all millennials are all Gen Z, but, you know, the they have grown up with a different perception of creating online and showing up. We need everyone's voice. And I would love to see more of my generation show up and use their voice. I feel a real strong responsibility to share what I've learned. I love, love, love spending time with women that are older than me and learning from them and hearing their stories. And it's, there's, there's just, there's something wonderful about it. And so I'm going to share a comment with you guys from Facebook, uh, uh, a listener and a Facebook friend. He had shared my podcast on Facebook and I thanked him for sharing it. And I put the screenshot in and he said, you are so welcome, Kim. I love all caps following your ups and downs. You are amazing. I cannot wait to listen as I also hate the one size fits all crap. Been away for a few days. So I'm off my schedule. Nothing six or seven naps won't cure. Which, yeah, I love that too, because I love me a good nap also. What vulnerability looks like for you is personal. You're the only one who can decide that. My therapist has taught me something that I have learned to use when I'm not exactly sure how I'm feeling. And that is to pay attention to what I'm feeling in my body. So if I can't identify clearly the emotion or a default which was mine for a long time and is much less so now as I don't know, I don't know. Um, or a default might be something easier. So after doing this for years with her, I've learned these three things. Anger and frustration tend to be in my head. Sadness and grief tend to be in my chest and my heart. And excitement and nervousness tends to come from my gut. So and here's the interesting thing with excitement and nervousness. She's also taught me this is that they have the same physiological feeling in your body. But most of the time, especially with business is it comes to excitement. It, it, I mean, it comes to it's, it, it is excitement. And I think we can be nervous and excited at the same time. So if you're thinking about sharing something that makes you a little uncomfortable, you're probably a little bit excited because there's this unknown element. How are people going to respond? Am I crazy for doing this? Because really, I, I just think most of the time you're going to be excited. And so I want to differentiate one thing though, and this is really important. And this circles back to what I said earlier. Testing and trying things in your business is very different from hopping from thing to thing to thing. And I have been saying, I, I think I'm gonna have to do a doodle for this, that I want my business foundation built with steel and concrete, right? Once that is solidly in place, and it might sound funny, almost 16 years later, the foundation isn't there, isn't solid? No, no, it's not. You know, life happens. I would have said the first 10 years, it was fairly solid. But since I've been pivoting and and moving towards this, this space of, for lack of a better word, intangible content, um, no, and I'm doing that right now. But once that's solidly in place, um, then I can get into putting the rest of the house up, so to speak, right? So the foundation is going to be just rock solid, you guys. And then once 
the walls start going up and the rooms start going up, which would be maybe you think of that in terms of products, community or marketing. You know, what are, what are the consistent, like the podcast, like the newsletter, like email? Those are consistent marketing elements for me. And maybe there's a room for YouTube because I want to start pulling video in again. <clears throat> and then once those things are running and working and I'm measuring them, then I can drill down into the decor, which in this case might be tactics. Uh, run a challenge, which eh, probably not. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Just a lot of work that I won't enjoy. I am not afraid of hard work. I will say that. Um, or, you know, testing TikTok ads. Um, or, you know, so getting into those things. And I've said for a few months now, my focus in 2024 is to really dial down Facebook and um, Instagram paid traffic. Once those are running, then I will add an additional channel like YouTube ads or and or TikTok, whatever. So solid strategies based on consistent effort with only a few things, meaning I don't have a zillion offers out there, right? And I, even Russell Brunson, I don't mean even, I think he's a brilliant marketer. I'm just sort of tired of ClickFunnels content in general. It feels very same, um, which goes to speak to fundamentals, right? And mastering it. But talks about, you can have different top of funnel, those, those points of entry. So you can test those. It's kind of like having different lead magnets, but why would you add one lead magnet if the other one isn't converting, right? If you've got X amount of traffic and it's only concerning, converting at 1%, could you change the headline? Could you change the name and get it up to 2% and get up to three, you know, and that is the work that doesn't feel fun. I think this is all those sort of in the behind the scenes that I call it you know, the stuff you can't see. It's like sitting and working on messaging and rewriting copy or editing. Those things are not fun, but those are the ones that make the big difference. Anyway, I'm going to test and try new tactics when everything else is running. And I'll share this probably first quarter of 24. Like I've got three three things, three things. That's it for Kim Doyle. Until those are running, then we'll step it up. All right. So now I'm going to share, and I shared this in the newsletter, but oh gosh, you guys, this article got me so excited. I have been listening, uh, Amanda Bond, the ad strategist, follow her on Facebook. She is incredible. She's the one who wrote, and I should link to her episode, her article again, but the reason, the real, is it the real reason? The reason your Facebook ads, the reason, the real reason Facebook ads have stopped working. Easy for me to say. That is a six page article that has generated over half a million dollars for her business in five years. So if we want to average out, who wouldn't want to add $100,000 to your bottom line from one really, really good article? Took her five, six months to produce it based on research and hiring a copywriter and editing. And there was a lot of assets to produce, but doesn't that feel better than reinventing the wheel over and over again? Yes. So the article... This all ties back to the article because Amanda Bond has been doing some live streams promoting a course for these guys, but the article is called Manifesto Product Launch Marketing. And I'm probably going to reread this and take notes. Uh, it's a post by Andre Chaperone and Sean Twang. And this, uh, I think I have the website up. I do. I do. The modern marketing system, Andre Chaperone has since moved on to other stuff. And I think he's going to show up for the last live stream because they're marketing their sphere of influence product, which 
teaches how to write these, I call them pre-sale sites, multi-page, multi-page pre-sale site, like one article that doesn't even have something for sale at the end of it, you guys. There's a whole tactic behind this, but so much of it is based on Andre Chaperone uh, did Autoresponder Madness, which is now the art of email. And it's really understanding the customer journey and not being pushy and sleazy with sales and all the bro marketing stuff that so many of us despise. It's He's the flip side of that coin. So this article, though, I just want to talk to you. And I think I'm going to do an email with the subject line, ding dong, the launch is dead. <laughs> and I want you to think of literally the Wizard of Oz, ding dong, the launch is dead. Da, 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 da. <sighs> ding dong, the witch is dead was stuck in my head the whole day that I wrote that down. Okay. This article got me so excited. Okay. Here's the two, the TLDR, right? And that this is that product launches based on Jeff Walker's product launch formula are not working the way they used to. One, consumers, customers, clients, whatever you want to call them, see them coming a mile away. And they're not as profitable as people think. So I'm going to share with you a screenshot, which is directly from that article. And I love, love, love what he called out here. So the vanity metric and I, I didn't pull this piece in. You can get all the specific breakdown and data of this in the article. And because Andre's been privy to a lot of this stuff. So he, and he had a conversation with somebody who was behind the scenes of one of these big launches. So the vanity metric with it this, that this launch did 1.1 million. Okay. And he went based on all the rest of these numbers are based on averages and actual data. Refunds or $220,000. Affiliates got paid out $440,000. Okay, so let's subtract. Now we're at what, 660 from that 1.1? The JV manager cost $66,000 because what they do is they'll hire a JV manager to go find these big affiliates, these big JVs who will promote. Merchant fees were $33,000. Front end planning costs, $198,000. And he goes into the specifics. So if you're not sure what those planning costs are, again, read the article. The net from this $1.1 million launch was $43,000. That's it. And I'm not saying that's nothing to sneeze at, but the amount of effort and energy and work involved that went into this launch the JV manager made more money than the creator. And there is such an allure for the vanity metric of a big launch. But when you look at numbers like this, I don't know about you, but that is a hard pass for me. You could do those numbers. You could do $43,000 independently without JVs and affiliates. And again, I highly recommend you read the article. With a great offer, some paid traffic, and an engaged email list. So I don't want you to think that I'm just like, well, you know, just got a thousand person list, easy peasy. Just email, make $43,000. I'm sure somebody like Andre could, <laughs> but he knows the psychology and everything that goes behind email marketing. But, you know, I've done little launches on my own and it's plenty for me. Flip that and I'll share too what when Jody and I had the content creators planner, our 
third month of working with an ad agency, we spent $29,000 in ads and we made $67,000 in sales. And that was with one upsell. We probably could have had $100,000 had we had better funnel in place, but it is what it is. My friend Marie Zapara did the same amount of money on her own with Facebook ads, a webinar, and a great offer. And I've linked to her podcast episode here. And she has since scaled two things to over half a million dollars a year. And I'm going to have her back on the show. She's a dear friend. And by the way, those numbers are public on another podcast. It's it's not um, something I'm sharing out of turn, so to speak. But you guys, at the end of the day, you know, removing your ego from marketing means tuning out the noise, managing your mindset, and doing a little entrepreneurial adulting, which means doing the things you don't always want to do so as to create the life you love. I don't think it's supposed to be easy, but I do think it should be fun. Okay, let me just check on the time here really quick. Where are we at? Okay, we're winding up. Perfect. I'm going to share. I did a screenshot of something else I saw on Facebook this morning. I'm like, are you friggin' kidding me? Somebody else posted, people gloating about generating six figures is such a weak flex. One million plus is a real flex or doing half a million with 60% plus GM. I don't know what, I don't know what GM stands for, but I was like, really? It, <laughs> I'm not going to call him out by his name, but I was like, that's not a, a bro comment. I don't know what is. My whole point in all of this, you guys, is we have got to start listening to ourselves. We have to start trusting what inspires us, what drives us, and then doing the entrepreneurial adulting and creating consistently and publishing and testing and selling and the stuff that I'm the first, my friends get on my nerve, not get on my nerves get on my case all the time. You could still be selling. You could still be selling. Well, I'm going to be. I have a handful of of courses, but I just moved everything to high level. And now I have a to-do list of follow-up sequences and stuff that I got to make sure are all in place. But this is supposed to be fun, you guys. Doesn't mean it's not supposed to be work. And the beauty of being in this space, if you love to create and you have an online business, first of all, if you want to scale, because the other piece of this, as I was mentioning Tori Dunlap, the her first 100K, I've been listening to her podcast and listening to other uh, women in the finance space. And there's an element of, I, I don't believe in a, you know, what's your enough necessarily, because I, I have fun in the creating and the dreaming and, and who, like, I don't have a limit. Like I don't, I don't have a number that says, okay, when I hit, if I hit a million dollars in a year, that I don't want to grow anymore. I might, but it's more about the journey there and who I'm on the journey with. And so I don't have a ceiling, but I also, I don't have a ceiling, but it's, it's not what drives me. It, it's creating the thing. And a key term that I, that I heard when listening to, um, Tori's podcast was, um, what was the gal? I don't have her side up anymore, but she was having a conversation with another finance gal who wrote a book and it's financial independence, meaning what's your number that gives you the lifestyle that you want. For me, it's the ability to go back and forth between California and Costa Rica to have a place that fuels me. Like I'm really, it's funny. I'm not going to go sideways with, with goals and that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's a quality of life. And 
you know, my spoils would be like weekly massages like I had in Costa Rica. Oh man, that place spoiled me. So I, I think it's really tuning in and getting clear about what you enjoy doing, what you want to create, who you want to, to serve, who you want to solve problems for, and how you want to grow. You do not have to want a seven-figure business. You don't have to want a six-figure business if you don't need it, right? Like, you do you, boo. Like, I, there is zero judgment. I just want to see people let go of what they feel they're supposed to do, i.e. let go of your ego, have some more fun, and to revive another old hashtag, just show up. All right, friends, that's all I've got for you today. And uh, yeah, this is not, oh, I didn't do this one on video. I'm going to have to do some shorts or something. But uh, yeah, here we are. Only a few weeks left in December. This is bizarre to me. This year is almost over. I'm excited though. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the new year. And I am going to do a year in review podcast episode. And I will do my best not to be completely redundant. But anyway, I love you tons. Thank you for being on this journey with me. Thanks for listening. If you've not done so, I'd love a review in iTunes. And what's funny, I got an email from Spotify a few weeks ago. Oh, your podcast is in Spotify now. It's like, oh, well, how about that? So you should be able to find me on Spotify also. And I will start linking to that on the site also. Um, Okay. Until next week, have a wonderful morning, afternoon, or evening.